Well, yeah, I'm going to stick one word in our, our minds this morning having to do with this series that we're interacting on worship and warfare. And we'll see this in a couple of thoughts that get shared. You know, why this series at this moment? Probably one word, mindfulness. Mindfulness. And I'm very aware I live in the same world that you do. My world is noisy. My flesh is tempted. My mind is diverted. And you live in that world as well. We need a mindfulness of being creatures designed, called, and ultimately about the worship of God. And we need a mindfulness that we live in a setting that is filled with warfare. So this morning, I am very much, I'm going to show my cards to you right away. I am very much trying to scare you to Jesus. So if I could, I don't know what phrase to use besides that, scare the hell out of you. Maybe that's a good phrase. Uh, But we're going to visit something about hell this morning, a particular person. So our title this morning is Warfare is Personal. Graham Cole has written, I think, a rather excellent uh, systematic theology volume on spiritual dimensions. It's titled Against the Darkness, the Doctrine of Angels, Satan, and Demons. He says, there are 17 books of the Old Testament that refer to angels and 17 of the New Testament. On this count, there are 273 references to angels in scripture, 273 references to these beings. John Frame in his systematic theology says, modern worldviews typically claim to have discovered a much larger universe than was known to the ancients and medievals. But they have a much smaller view of the universe of persons. Having abandoned the belief in God and in angels. According to scripture, however, vast numbers of angels inhabit the world. So we need to develop a larger perspective. And that's what I want to install today for us, a larger perspective. We live in a world dwelt in, inhabited by other spiritual beings, many of them up to things, intentional, not taking vacations, not distracted from their task, about their activity all the time. We need a larger perspective. And the Bible provides it for us in places. Sometimes we get to peel back the heavens and see this other dimension. And the Bible doesn't then want us to forget, even though it doesn't spend a lot of time in those dimensions. But the mere fact that they're presented to us is intended intended to stick to us. I'm supposed to remember these heavenly realities that get explained to me and not just, oh yeah, I saw that and then I'll move away from it on a daily basis. So you remember this story, 2 Kings, and these are moments in, in, in the Old Testament where God pulls back the veil. So there's this particular moment where the king of Assyria is trying to attack the people of God. And every time he goes to to mount an attack or move his troops, it's like somebody in his own camp seems to be revealing what's going on to the enemy. And so he he gets mad. He's like, who is betraying me? Who keeps coming up and and exposing my plans? Because every time I do something, they're ready and they respond. And then he's informed. It's not one of us who's betraying you. It's the prophet Elisha. He knows everything you do in Israel. He's, he's listening in on your bedroom conversations. And so he says, okay, well, that guy needs to come down. And he mounts his army and sends him against Elijah and surrounds the town in which he's in. And this is the story and how it plays out. Second Kings chapter six, verse 15. When the servant 
of Elisha, the man of God, rose early in the morning and went out. Behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He knows this is it, right? The army of the enemy is everywhere in massive force. They're severely outnumbered. Then Elisha prayed and said, well, I'm sorry, back up. The, then Elisha said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So here's this drama being played out and, and don't, don't put this too far away from you, right? When you and I go to do life, there's going to be moments when the forces that array against our lives, they outnumber us and we feel afraid, right? I could, if I could just stop right now and just say, Hey, any, anybody feel like the circumstances of your life are too big for you right now? Do, do you feel outnumbered? Do you feel like there are things going on in your life that are more powerful than you, that you don't have a resource for, that you're under some kind of opposition in your life? Do you feel that way? Does anybody here this morning feel afraid? Well, that's the servant. Well, what's the remedy to that? Interesting for Elisha, his remedy is to ask the Lord, Lord, would you, would you give this man a bigger perspective? Would you let him see more of what's really going on? That's a remedy, right? So don't get too far from the story that you leave your own story out of it. Might it be that there are moments in our own lives where what I need to see is what is unseen, but what is real around me. And there's a reality that there's a spiritual world out there that is active and it's real. It's as real as you and I are here this morning. John Frame says, mysterious warriors, even mysterious horses, <laughs> poised to bring victory to the prophet. Elisha's servant needed a larger cosmology, one allowing for more persons. He needed further to see that the physical cosmology is only part of a larger spiritual conflict, a larger warfare. He needed to see a larger warfare. He saw a level of the warfare, but he needed to see a larger warfare. And there are moments where that's what the Bible shows up and explains to us. Do you remember the story of the, the prophet Daniel and Daniel chapter 10? A moment again of conflict for the people of Israel. Hostile forces are in play. They're in Babylon. They're in exile. And, and the prophet Daniel has been praying and fasting. And, and I love the simplicity of God bringing us into the realm of this supernatural by just common stuff that the people of God are doing. Elijah just prayed. That's all he did. And God opened the eyes of this servant. Daniel's just praying. He just started praying. And he was 21 days persevering in prayer. And at day 21, an angelic being shows up and has a conversation with him. Gabriel. And he reveals that, hey, Daniel, from the moment you started praying, I was sent from heaven. He doesn't, Daniel doesn't know this. But this is what's going on in his prayers while he's contending and praying. And, under, and, and I, I say this pretty assuredly, Bible doesn't explain the details, but it would seem given Daniel's shock that this, this being shows up and begins to speak to him. It's not like he turns around and says, hey, I was waiting for you. What took you so long? He's surprised that this being shows up. 
because he's probably not praying, oh God, I see in the heavens now, Gabriel is moving, but there's this other spiritual being called the prince of Persia who is over this geographic area of the world and he's opposing Gabriel and Gabriel can't get where he's trying to go and it's 21 days. I don't think Daniel knows any of that, but that is what's going on. And he explains that to Daniel. Behind the scenes, there's something more than just human beings messing with other human beings. There are principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And when Gabriel finishes his conversation with Daniel, he says, I will now return to fight against the prince of Persia. Oh, and by the way, the prince of Greece is going to show up soon too. So this is what's going on in the unseen realm. And there are moments when you and I need a larger cosmology. We need to see more persons in this world. And that's what Paul does. Paul teaches this rich, wonderful doctrinal treaty in in the book of Ephesians. And after explaining all this wonderful doctrine to the people of God, he, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. In the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. You need a larger cosmology. You don't just need the wonderful sound doctrines that he just presented throughout the book of Ephesians, although you do need that. But you need an awareness that there's a larger cosmology going on. So today... Can we just stop for a moment and pray that God would give us a larger perspective about our lives? Let's pray for a moment. Father, we, like every person on every page of your word, we have a lot going on in our lives. Lots of good things, lots of hopeful things, lots of dreams and desires and lots of difficulties and disappointments and suffering. Lord, we have relationships that are working and we have relationships that are not. Lord, we have joys with people. We have conflicts with people. We have opportunities that are working out. We have dreams that have failed. Lord, we're doing life in this world. But Lord, in our day, Unlike in perhaps past times, it seems as though we've lost sight of the spiritual realities around us. We're just doing the next thing with the next person, with the resources that we can come up with. But Lord, would you enlarge our cosmology today? Would you enlarge our perspective on this warfare in this world? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to do a little bit of just an introduction to warfare today. It is very much an introduction. It is not going to solve a lot of problems. It is going to just do that word, introduce us to some things. And I'm just going to tuck some thoughts into three words. I I want us to see personality, that there's a personal being involved in the warfare that we experience, Uh, schemes, well-thought-out opposing methods are in this world, and darkness. And I'm just going to tweak darkness a little bit, and we'll look at it more in a couple of weeks. But personality-driven warfare. The Bible calls our attention to this reality. This is is not for hyper-charismatics and people who have gone off the weird end of the Bible. If you don't see this in Scripture, I'm curious as to what has kept you from seeing this. If you think that there is not a personal being running evil in this world, I'm, I'm curious. I really, I would love to have a conversation with you to try and figure out what has caused you to not see this in scripture because the Bible intentionally draws our attention to him. So as much as we're, we're about worshiping God, we're about fulfilling God's purposes, but the Bible does grab me by the back of the neck and say, Hey, look at that in verses like this. First Peter chapter five, verse eight, Peter says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary 
the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What is your attention being drawn to in that passage? To a person, to an active person, to a predator-like being. And and then there's a little phrase here tucked in. And and again, I am trying to scare you to Jesus. So I'm I'm not looking to soften this up and, and make it less ominous. It's ominous. There's an interesting grouping of thoughts here by Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, where he moves from, hey, be watchful, be sober-minded, let me get your attention, this is important. There's this being out there, he's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And then the next thought after resist him is knowing this, the same kind of suffering is being experienced by your brotherhood. What, What kind of suffering? The kind that that roaring lion brings. Now, am I here saying that every form of suffering comes from Satan? No. No, we'll we'll unpack more of the warfare in the weeks to come. The, The world and its condition brings suffering. Sin that indwells our members brings suffering. But Satan brings suffering. He's a real being who brings suffering. You remember the story? And this is, again, I'm not trying to say here that every form of sickness is the devil. Don't believe that either. But neither do I believe that sickness and suffering, the devil's never involved, right? You have this story in Luke. I didn't put this in your notes, but Luke chapter 13. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. If you met this woman and you looked at her, Would there have been some advertisement that there is something spiritual, something demonic going on? She just looked like this. You just encountered, this is what she looked like for 18 years, bent over. Would you be thinking there's something spiritual going on here? You'd have thought an injury from the past. You'd have thought osteoporosis. You'd have thought something. And Jesus ministers to this woman. And then they they take issue with him because he he heals her on the Sabbath day. And Jesus says, well, ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Whom Satan bound. Jesus said that. It just looked like she had a bad back. Until Jesus says, no, there's more going on here. You know, when you and I interact with Job's story, Job's story is is full of natural disasters. There's a storm that comes, it destroys everything he owns. There's marauders, selfish human beings who come and take from him and kill and inflict pain on the people that belong to Job and take away from him and eventually he gets boils in his body and comes down with some kind of viral infection in his body. But you and I know where all that came from. The devil was involved in Job's affliction, wasn't he? Because there's more going on here than simply the natural forces of this world. And in this passage, in 1 Peter In the New Testament, for believers who are walking just like us, we are told to be sober-minded, be watchful. Why am I to be thinking a certain way, alert in a certain way, watchful? Watchful for what? The next jerk who's going to come and flick something in my life? The next human being? The next physical force? Well, might be wise to look out for those things. The Bible says that elsewhere, but here... Be watchful and sober-minded because your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. He is a predator. He wants to do something. 
The force of this sits in resist him. He's going to be up to something and you need to resist him. He is a person. He has a personality. He wants to do certain things. Listen, there's, there's one thing to, to kind of have this idea that there's this, you know, and the, and the world does a wonderful job, a wonderful job of diverting our attention and giving us natural mindedness. So, you know, something happens in the world and it's, you know, mother nature. It's, it's some explainable dimension that we have figured out by using scientific methodologies that we can explain just about everything away. There was an event that took place that set everything in motion in this world, in the Garden of Eden. You can't break out a microscope, a test tube, some psychology test and figure out what happened in the Garden of Eden, can you? What happened in the Garden of Eden was a personality showed up and interacted with human beings on planet Earth and started something in motion that every one of us are living in the shadow of it ever since. Charles Spurgeon, as only Charles Spurgeon can say, describes it rather colorfully in a message called The Roaring Lion. He says, he has had the audacity openly to attack the creator in all his works. He stained creation. He pulled down man from the throne of glory and rolled him in the mire of depravity. With the tail of the serpent, he despoiled all Eden's beauty and left it a waste that brings forth thorns and briars. Man once made in the image of God, he soon ruined. Now he uses all his devices, all his crafts, all the power of his skill and all the venom of his malice to destroy twice made man. Right? Those who are born again, regenerated, created in the image of Christ Jesus. With ceaseless toil and untiring patience, he is ever occupied in endeavoring to crush the seed of the woman. There is no believer in Christ, no follower of that which is true and lovely and of good repute, who will not find himself at some season or other attacked by this foul fiend and the legions enlisted in his service. Now behold, your adversary, yes, though you cannot see his face or detect his form, believe that such a foe withstands you. It's not a myth, not a dream, not a superstitious imagination. He is as real a being as ourselves. And we are charged to resist him. I think I'm putting your outline there. This is a little different nuance of life than merely seeking to be a good person or to live a morally, spiritually responsible life. Or we can almost feel like being a Christian is, is, a, is about living morally clean, respectable, responsible lives. You know, we, we get around our Bible we, we live a little differently. We don't do those things, those terrible. We don't do that kind of stuff. We do these kinds of things. And, and certainly there is a dimension to being a Christian that looks like that. But I want to draw our attention to this, to the war that exists. That you are doing much more than just reading your Bible and being friendly and caring about others. Matter of fact, I, and I won't, this is where this is just an introduction, so I'm not unpacking all this. There are aspects to those things that have to do with resisting him. And he's up to something all the time. And he's powerfully effective. And the Bible wants us to know it. It doesn't want us just to live these Christian lives that we're just trying to be a little bit better people than we used to be. Now, you have an enemy you have a spiritual being who is in this world with countless other spiritual beings who are against the worship of God and the work of God taking place in your life. He does not want to see the image of God come into existence through your existence. So he is busy. 
Peter said it that way. This is how Paul said it in Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, right? So all those things I just said, hey, we fellowship with one another. We read our Bibles. We confess sin. We repent. We walk with God. All those things are are forms of being strong in the Lord. Because notice, if a Christian can be told, be strong, what's the implication of that verse? That you could be weak. And that's not shocking, right? The Bible speaks about us being weak. So don't, don't be surprised and don't, don't overestimate yourself because the Bible has accredited to us the righteousness of Christ and the identity of Christ. We have all these things, but then the Bible still turns around and says, hey, those things are all true and you still have room to be told, be strong as opposed to whatever else you might be instead of being strong. So be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God. Why? that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And listen, all the other reasons that we give, because I've preached other messages and I've probably said many other things as to why do whatever. Yes, do whatever in the Christian life because it brings glory to God. Because it's an expression of our love and affection for him. Because, you know, if you're married, it blesses your spouse and it cares for your family and, and, and it builds the body of Christ. All those things. But here... Paul's attention is be strong, do these things. Why? So that you can stand against him, the schemes of this devil. Here's the condition of earth. Again, I'm trying to make this a quick introduction. How did this happen? How did this environment on earth become this kind of a setting? Well, this is a questionable passage of what exactly it's describing and when exactly it's describing it. But nonetheless, it is Revelation chapter 12 describing the warfare that is present in this earth. Revelation 12, verse 7. If you, if you don't know these things, I'm, I'm trying to think for folks today who are like, yeah, heard of the devil, don't have much idea about him. All right, well, well here's where some of this originates. Revelation 12 says, Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels, Michael's an archangel, fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. Who's this great dragon? Well, he's the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And in verse 12, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And that's very different than the idea that there's this Star Wars thing happening in our world. And there's this thing called the Force. And it's got good dimensions and bad dimensions, light dimensions and dark dimensions, but it's just a force and you just kind of interact with it and you can use it for all kinds of means to accomplish this, accomplish that. That's a little different than there's a spiritual being who got booted out of heaven and rejected by God. And he came down here and he's PO'd. It's Keith's translation came down to earth in great wrath. The dude is mad and he knows something. He knows his time is short. There's an urgency in this creature. Peter described him as a predator. He has a strategy. He's up to things. He's trying to accomplish certain stuff and he feels urgent about it. And that's happening every day of our lives, whether we're Elisha or like his servant, whether we see it 
or not. It's there. John Frame says angels participate in the kingdom warfare. Above and around us are good and evil angels engaged in spiritual warfare. Satan and his hosts engage human beings in the battle by tempting them to sin. The good angels, however, are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. The two armies fight each other as well as fighting against and for us. So scripture urges us, this is where this is so critical. Please carefully hear this. Scripture urges us not to underestimate the difficulty of the struggle as if we could succeed with human resources alone. If there's any reason why I'm preaching this today, it's that phrase. Our world is so natural-minded. It is so devoid of staring into the invisible spaces that it's just simply believing it can come up with its own solutions to everything. And we become Christians and try and follow Jesus with the same mindset. We're just trying to figure out what we can do for ourselves, for the church, for the kingdom, with our natural resources, mindless that we're in over our head. The kingdom of God coming into this world is being opposed by forces much greater than you or me could ever imagine. And if I'm not convinced of that, I don't pray. I don't check in with God. I don't depend upon him. I don't act as though I need him desperately in my life. You know, you just need to have one or two encounters with some of these beings to change how casual you might become as you walk through this world. Or you need to believe the word of God. That God says these beings are all over the place and they are active and Peter is speaking to average Joe Christian in First Peter. This is not Peter uh, having a meeting with the 12 apostles who are unique like nobody else on the earth. Hey, just want you guys to know the devil roams about like a roaring lion seeking one of you. No, no, no. These are just typical Christians in First Peter that Peter is speaking to. He wants you to know. Put your head on a swivel. Be watchful and be sober because there's a spiritual being out there and he's after you. So be careful as you do life out there. Scripture urges us not to underestimate the difficulty of the struggle as if we could succeed with human resources alone. If we were fighting human beings, physical weapons would prevail. Though even in human warfare, God's will is decisive. But we are fighting beings who are far more intelligent, strong, and numerous than we are, and who to us are exceedingly mysterious. These beings do things that you and I don't even have a category for. We don't know how they did that. We don't know how they got there. We don't know what actions they took. We don't know how they interact with you or me. We don't know how they interact with others. We don't know how they travel. We don't know how they move. We don't know a lot. And so God who says, you know, I've revealed enough for you to walk by faith with me. And I have not told you a lot about these beings, but I've just peeled back enough for you to know they're there and they're powerful. And a bunch of them went, went rogue and are now opposing the worship of the one true God on the planet where you live and they're coming for you. And if that's kind of the gist of what God has told us, that needs to grab our attention. These beings are intentional. That's where the word schemes come from. 
Right? Paul used that word in Ephesians. I think I wrote this in your outline, and I, I want us to catch this because Paul uses the word schemes as a motivational element. When he says, be strong, he's trying to motivate us. When he says, put on the full armor of God, he's trying to get us to do that. As though if you don't do it, there's going to be an issue in your life. And the way in which he motivates us is by using the word schemes, designs. Paul's schemes and Peter's roaming lion are trying to get us to realize that we are engaging something that is not haphazard or random in nature. Does that make sense? So this is not just like, oh, well, you know, mother nature, who can predict? Who knows? You know, we had a picnic scheduled today. Oh, you know, here comes cold weather. Here comes a storm. That just feels haphazard. It feels like you and I are bumping into issues by accident. And, and there's a dimension to our life that I think would be accurately described that way. There are natural elements in our world that just happen because the world's designed to function a certain way. But these beings are not haphazard. The steerers of temptation and evil in our world, they're not accidental beings. They're intentional. They think through what they do. Be strong in the Lord. In the strength of his might, not in your own intelligence. That doesn't mean be a dumb person, but... Look beyond yourself to a strength that's got to come from him. He's got to provide something to us in this battle. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, the schemes of the devil. That word schemes, it's the word methodia in the Greek language. It's methods to treat methodically. It means to handle according to a plan, to handle craftily, to deceive. I don't know if any of you guys are really good at lying. Anybody really good at lying? Can I see your hand real quick? just want to make sure I know when I'm talking to you. Um, you know, if you're a really good liar, you, 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 you have to have a method. Otherwise, you'll get caught in your lies very quickly. You've got to figure out how to lie in a way that makes sense with everything else that people know. So to be a really good liar, I'm not trying to give you lessons on being a liar, but I was a pretty good liar years ago. Um, you got to think through a bunch of pieces of, okay, if I say this, right? How many guys kind of watched that, that weird, I forgot the guy's name now in South Carolina, the guy was on trial, Murdoch, the Murdoch trial, right? I mean, the guy just lying about all kinds of stuff. It's like, man, you got to be pretty creative to be able to come up with a lie that if you get cross-examined this way, it works and this way it works and this way it works. Well, that's what you're dealing with a being who's got an answer for everything. And so when you go to argue with his lie, it will make sense every time you test it. Every time. It's like you can't seem to find a hole in it unless you use the truth. Unless you just choose to believe what God has said is true. Right? So these, these schemes, these methods, these designs and tactics of the enemy... They're what we're up against. And they're why Paul says, hey, not enough for you to be a smart dude. You can be the smartest guy in the room. You can be trained. You can go to school. You can have a great degree. You can have letters behind your name. You're, you're nothing for this being. You, you need to be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. And you need to put on some armor in order to engage the schemes of this enemy. Peter O'Brien, in his commentary on Ephesians, he quotes Klein Snodgrass. He says, his comment is worth quoting in full. He says, mention of the schemes of the devil reminds us of the trickery and subterfuge by which evil and temptation present themselves in our lives. Listen, evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. Ah, that's well said. It gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, and perfectly legit. It is a baited and camouflaged trap. Oh, that's so effective today. 
because we do what feels right. We don't make decisions on what is right. We do what feels right. And that's probably always been true of humanity. But even in my lifetime, I can see that ratcheted up. I can see, and I remember seeing some, I remember sharing with some of the guys. I remember seeing something a number of years ago that it used to be that our attack in terms of presenting God's word was, you know, we, we need to preserve man's thinking because thinking is what produces feelings. And somehow the enemy has jumped that. And now he is simply wanting us to feel something no matter what we're thinking. And that's what everything seems to answer to. How do I feel about that? How is this making me feel? How are you making me feel? How is that idea making me feel? And that's what I interact with. Do you understand if this is true, how dangerous that is? Evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. It gains entrance by appearing, by feeling something. That's who we're facing. So let me give you some quick thoughts here on schemes and how the Bible attaches the scheming devil to the common spaces of life, right? And this is probably all I'm going to get to today. Look at these passages and I'll try and just introduce them quickly. We'll do a lot of reading and we'll do it quick. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse 10. Paul told the the Corinthian church, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs, his methods, his schemes. What's going on in that setting? Well, there's been a decision about a person who had sinned against members of the church and they had made a decision as a church about putting this person out of fellowship as the Bible would, would describe for them to do. But then there's come a moment now of restoration. There's come a moment where this person now needs to be welcomed back into the hearts of these people. And there's a question about whether they'll do that or not. And Paul preaches this message and he says two things. Hey, first guys, there's this thing called forgiveness. So, you know, he doesn't break out the atonement. He doesn't explain in depth, you know, we have been forgiven by God. How how could you not possibly forgive this other person? But he does make a point of saying this. If you don't do forgiveness right, the devil will use that. He will enact a scheme, a design, a method by you not doing right in the category of forgiveness. And you know, this is where our natural mindedness goes into overtime, doesn't it? Because when we think about forgiveness issues, we tend to think, hey, that's about you and me, man. That's about what you did to me and how it made me feel and how much it's cost me. Okay? That's what this is about. Oh, Lord, would you open our eyes to see what's in the mountains around us? What else is present? in this moment besides how I feel about what you did or what you said to me, right? Ephesians four twenty six. unpacking further, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Uh, many of us have been told Anger and bitterness, it'll burn you up from the inside out. And that sounds like, and then that's true, by the way. But it sounds like it's just personal, isn't it? It's just you and that issue. It's just you and your anger. It's just you and your own bitterness. And that thing's like a cancer going off on the inside of you. But Paul turns around and says, oh, no, there's more than that going on. There's more than how this attitude's going to sour your life and have an impact on you. You're going to give an opportunity to the devil by your anger that is off the leash and out of control in your life. And he seeks an opportunity. He's methodical. He looks for these moments. Charles Spurgeon said, think for a while how active he must be. We know that he is to be found in every place. Enter the most hallowed sanctuary and you shall find him there. 
Go where a man congregate upon the exchange, and you shall lack no signs of his being present there. Retire into the quietude of the family circle, and you will soon detect in bickerings and jealousies that Satan has scattered handfuls of evil seed there. What does it mean to resist him firm in your faith? Does it mean, hey, don't, don't draw pentagrams on your notebooks, kids? Don't, you know, whatever you do, resist the devil. Don't join the occult, kids. Come on now. Let's stay away from this stuff. That horror movie, come on. Don't get around that horror movie. I mean, this is the kind of stuff we're like, amen, man, amen. And we walk out the building and we're angry and unforgiving. It's like, do we read the, the Bible or not? Right? Do you understand? You could be featured in the next horror movie because you've given an opportunity to this devil by not resolving your anger, by feeling justified that, well, you don't know what she did to me. You don't understand. Yeah, you didn't have to live through that. And it, oh, like that's all that's going on here is an exchange between you and another human being. That's all that's happening here. Natural minded, isn't it? To overlook the fact that the enemy has an opportunity and we've provided it for him through our unforgiveness. And it finds its way in a bunch of settings, right? I'm going to just skim through these quickly. First Timothy five. Here's what's going on in this setting. The church is trying to figure out how to care for widows and they've established a bit of a welfare system, if you will. They said, so if, if a woman's husband dies and she doesn't have any means to provide for herself, and she doesn't have any other family. Hey, the church should step in and, and help her out. And, but then Paul adjusts that a little bit for the younger women. He says, but for the younger women, they probably need to get married because that's turning into a bad situation. Look at what he says. Besides that, you know, they learn to be idlers. They're going about from house to house, not only idlers, but gossips, busybodies, saying what they should not. Can you hold on to those words? Because this does not just apply to women who have lost their husbands. These are people who are busybodies and idlers. They're unproductive. They're engaging people in conversations that they should not be having. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, right? Give themselves to something productive and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. Oh, that's a loaded statement, isn't it? So there's been gossip and innuendo and conversations that should not have been had. And what was the outcome of that? Some have already strayed after Satan. Why? Because gossip is an opportunity for the devil. It kicks in a scheme, a method. He uses all of his talents to manipulate everybody who gets touched by that gossip. Everybody. This is where, when I hear gossip, I'm aware this is much more than, hey, you probably shouldn't have said that. Here's what I'm aware of. Oh my, how the enemy will now use that. And that will not only disrupt the people and the lives directly, but it will plant seeds that the enemy will wait and water and harvest in the future. And the Bible calls us to not be ignorant of his devices. We are not to be outwitted by him. We're just to obey God in these categories. I remember John Frame saying, scripture urges us not to underestimate the difficulty of the struggle. We are fighting beings who are far more intelligent, strong, and numerous than we are, and who to us are exceedingly mysterious. Can, can you not make innocent 
comments that you're making about other people that qualify to be called gossip, inappropriate conversations where you are planting doubts, planting seeds, sharing things that you don't even know if they're necessarily true, but you're sharing them with others and you might be doing it under the most spiritual guise you can possibly come up with. You're concerned for something. I'm very concerned. You're very deceived. You're not reading this. You're sharing things with others that the devil is going to use. He's a pro. I love what Ken, I don't like what Ken Hughes says here actually, but it's true. Satan has had multiple millennia to study and master the human disciplines. And when it comes to human subversion, he is the ultimate manipulator. I don't think for a moment, for a moment, you can play in his league. An ounce of cooperation, he will exploit it to your demise. Remember, he's after something always, and he's pretty good about it. Ask Adam and Eve and everybody who lived after him. Maybe just one last thought. We're going to take a moment to pray together. John Piper, again, my intention was to scare you to Jesus. So I'm going to ask for John to help me scare you to Jesus. Right, all these schemes and snares and designs, they've been thought through by this devil. He's at work in these places. Remember, he said something about, you know, hey, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So John kind of takes Paul to task a little bit and says, wait, what do you mean you don't wrestle against flesh and blood? It's people with their hands and their stones and rods and chains that have cost you dearly and tested your faith almost to the limit. Right, Paul? I think Paul would answer, you're right. Flesh and blood is real and it can be very evil. But what I mean is this. Whenever someone's flesh attacks me or someone's blood boils against me or my way is hindered by man, something else is also going on. Something deeper, bigger, more terrible, more sinister, more destructive than meets the eye. I... I need to be mindful. This is the environment that we're doing life in. This is planet earth. This is what touches us. Now I want to develop some thoughts on darkness because Paul mentions that these cosmic powers, they're at work in this present darkness which I think as you stare throughout scripture and you watch, even as Jesus was interacted with by the devil, you would draw the same conclusion that I would draw. That darkness is not always present with the same intensity. There are moments when the enemy is more prolifically at work in settings, in times, in nations, in moments, in individuals' lives. So maybe you haven't experienced something at a super dramatic level yet. But your day could be coming. Maybe our nation is in a moment. Maybe the Western world is in the grips of darkness like we perhaps have never known since the West has existed, which I think is exactly true. I think the Western world was informed. It started in one place and one dark idea after another, after another, after another begin to infiltrate why we do what we do. And I don't think we've been in a darker place ever in the West. And that's the environment that we're interacting with. Remember the God of this world has blinded the eyes. That's what he does. He darkens things. And he makes them all the more difficult when he does. So I want to unpack three things in our spiritual warfare exploration. This morning, we talked about the person, the devil. We're going to talk about the world and we're going to talk about ourselves last. But this morning, um, can we invite God to help us in these categories? 
Can we, can we maybe together ask the Lord, Lord, could you right now open our eyes, give us a little bigger cosmology to understand what's going on in our individual spaces of life. So could you just bow your heads with me just for a moment? Let's, let's take an, and I'm just not, I'm not trying to pray a dismissing prayer here. I'm trying to get us to have our hearts accessible to God, to show us some things that maybe we were blinded to. And we just needed this morning to open our eyes to what's really going on around us. Father, even as we begin to ponder some things we've observed in your word, where we acknowledge there is a present darkness in our world, a blinding effect, a shading effect, an obscuring of things that you have said are clear and true, but Lord, sometimes we don't see them well. So God, have mercy on us this morning where we have not seen the schemes and the tactics of the enemy. God, I pray right now, would you come with your light into spaces that have been hard, Lord, that they have felt a certain way. We've been deceived, though, by our feelings. God, I pray for every person who is here who's experiencing relational conflict, forgiveness-driven issues. Maybe you're here this morning and you you would acknowledge to God, I am in a conflict. And I pray for every person right now who's thinking, about human to human conflict right now. God, that's what they've been interacting with. And there's memories of things that were said and things that were done. A lack of cleaning it up and making it right. Again, human to human activity of failure. And Lord, I know for some that's a painful place to go because Lord, we are so capable of hurting one another and disappointing one another shattering one another's hopes and expectations. So Lord, I don't want to overlook the difficulty and the grief of human to human conflict and the hurt that comes. But Lord, I don't want any of us here to be ignorant of the schemes that are in this setting of the enemy who is busy and at work, who is distorting, distracting, bringing more darkness into this situation. Lord, and perhaps for some here this morning, Lord, you would would give them faith to do differently in their lives. Lord, you would give them faith to look to you for something that, that they just can't seem to get from the other person nor from their own resources. But God, would you awaken in us a reality that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Lord, there's more going on here somebody said something or failed to do something. There's more going on in the anger that now resides in this setting. God, and we don't want to be in allegiance with this being. We want to be watchful. We want to be sober-minded because we know this predator is after us and everything we hold dear and wants to eliminate and darken worship in our world. God, make us worshipers of you, Lord. Make us to be freed from whatever has touched our lives in such a way that, Lord, a conflict will not rob you of worship. It won't stand in the way. It won't begin to be the defining force in my life. Anger will not control who I will and who I will not be. Lord, you would direct our hearts that we would not be prey to this enemy. God, I pray for some who just they found themselves in patterns of life, just 
unproductive patterns of life, Lord. They just have, have felt like the next step, they don't know what to do next, Lord. They're just kind of going in circles, it feels like. Lord, maybe that unproductivity has touched aspects of their lives, kind of like Paul's dealing with people whose patterns created opportunities for gossip, for other things to begin to be characteristic of their lives. Father, I pray that you would rescue us and keep us from the schemes of the enemy in these moments. Lord, I pray for every person who's been walking through a season feeling misdirected. Just don't feel a sense of momentum in their walk right now. Something's not compelling them. Uh, Lord, would you intervene in that moment? Lord, would you bring an awareness that some of the activity that's filling up your life, the enemy is seeking schemes and methods and designs against them. Lord, I pray about the darkness that is in our world. God, I pray for the church right now to be aware that there is a darkness that's affecting the people of God, not just the people in Washington, D.C. or in Los Angeles. Lord, there's a darkness that has come upon your people. Lord, I know I've had conversations with people in this room who have described the distance and disconnection and the disaffection they feel for God the darkness that seems to have settled in upon their lives. Lord, they don't feel what they once felt toward you. The affection toward you has grown cold. Things that used to move them don't move them the same way. Lord, there is a darkness and a distance. Oh God, would you help us, Lord? Would you intervene in the life of your church? Would you awaken us and shed light in our darkness? God, we need your help. Lord, some describe their lives as though it's a mystery why they feel the way they do. They don't understand why they feel the way they do. Lord, too many conversations I've had with people who have said, I know I should. I know I used to, but I just don't. Oh, Lord, this enemy has brought a darkness that has become more and more pervasive. Lord, I'm, I'm praying, Lord, we do want to pray for our country in its darkness, but God, I pray for your church, Lord. Lord, I don't pray this out of some insult to anybody here who feels that way. Lord, I, comp- I pray out of compassion. I pray out of my own sense of darkness. Lord, Turn on the lights for us. Lord, as Elisha prayed for his servant, oh God, would you open our eyes? Would you let us see more of the cosmology of what's going on? Lord, would you invade our moment to let us know there is a war in the heavens. There are battles taking place. They matter. They're part of an eternal story that we know is worth it all. Because it returns this universe to its place of worship and adoration of the one true king. Oh Lord, would you help us to see, Lord, we're living our lives too much in fear, too much in the natural spaces of this life. Lord, help us to see there's more going on. You are up to more things. God, would you find us in this moment? God, I pray for brothers and sisters that we've walked with for years who have found this to be a difficult time and a distant time. And that distance, Lord, can turn into something ugly. It can turn into something heart-wretched. It can turn into laziness and pride. It can turn into lusts and problems. Oh, Lord, would you rescue us, rescue your people, and Lord, help us to do that for one another. Lord, help us to pray giant prayers. Lord, whatever it was that Daniel was doing, 21 days later, he was still doing it. Lord, perhaps there are some here whose lives have encountered some prince of Persia fighting and resisting things. And it's going to take 
the people of God praying and praying and praying and praying for breakthroughs to come. So Lord, as we think right now of folks that are missing, folks that have been distracted from your glorious cause, folks that we love, Lord, who have been part of our lives, Lord, would you awaken in us a tenacity to put on the full armor of God that ends by saying, and with all this, pray, pray, God, that you might break in, that light might come, Lord, for we face a foe that's not just about the people hearing the words that I'm saying this morning. God, I can't talk anybody into light. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God, would you shine in our dark day in that kind of a way to bring us to a place, Lord, in this war. Lord, these days, they are dark days. And perhaps some of us will live the rest of our days on this earth in a dark season. Lord, would you make us adequate for this hour? Would you prepare us to face the enemy in these ways? Lord, I pray throughout this room, Lord, you would fill us with your spirit for no matter how dark the night might get, how much the enemy might oppose. Lord, I love that this verse, this verse holds out massive hope. Be strong in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand. So apparently, Lord, we are able to stand. We are able. There is an ability in this darkness to stand in what you're doing, Lord, and to receive grace from you that's adequate for this moment. Yes, indeed, do help us, Lord. So God, we want to be scared to Jesus. I'm not scared enough, God, I'm not. I can go about my natural life and my natural strength way too quickly. So God, you need to scare me more to Jesus. But I also need to believe that there's something coming from you that makes me able to stand. There is a resistance that's available to me. Resist him firm in the faith. You wouldn't have said that unless it was possible. He might be good at what he does, but God, you are better at what you do. And you can make us something that we were not and have not been by your grace. So God, take us into this hour of warfare. Lord, summon us to the front lines. And give us grace for this hour that we might live in this moment with our hearts full of light and you at work in us, filling us by the Spirit for this day. For your glory and for your worship, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Those of you guys joining us, we love you. We hope to see you real soon.